Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, my co-host Joe Stewart and myself speak with inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. I hope you're having an absolutely wonderful day. I'm doing pretty well, and the sun is out. We had a wonderful response to our last episode with Matthew Remsky. Joe and I recorded a few of our thoughts about our conversation with him and put them up on our Patreon page. So if you support us on Patreon, you can take a listen to that. For our episode today, we're catching up with Kate Peterson. Kate has been doing amazing work for a long time now. She's an entrepreneur, an activist and a yoga teacher. Kate started Yoga Pass, which evolved into Yoga Hive, and is the creator of Love Earth, distributing more sustainable yoga mats and helping finding homes for used mats. She's also been working with Yoga Australia to create the Reciprocity Action Plan, which aims to provide a framework for organisations such as Yoga Studios to support the national reconciliation movement and help strengthen relations with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait community throughout Australia. She's also on the board of Get Off Your Asana, which is a not-for-profit co-op for yoga teachers. So as you can see, Kate is doing a lot, so we were super excited to speak with her. Now, we recorded our interview with Kate a few months ago before this whole COVID-19 experience, so we asked her to record a short update on what she's been up to since we caught up with her last. So here's Kate, and then we'll get into our conversation with her straight after that. Hey Joe, hey Rani, hey everybody. Thanks so much for asking me to do a bit of a three minute update on what's gone down since we last talked. Nearly everything. <laughs> it feels like all of us have been through the ringer and we're only just coming out now. And I guess we've been in a pretty lucky position in Australia in comparison to some places. For that, I'm really thankful. I think there's been a lot of interesting talk and perhaps divisive talk within our yoga community about the reasons, the rationale, what's going to happen from COVID. And I want to just kind of put a big hope out there that our community can practice oneness and practice the questioning mind and practice an open, open sangha with regards to all this change. Because I think that due to the stress of the situation, some of the conversations I've been across have been pretty divisive. We need to keep our minds open to all kinds of possibilities. Just about where we're up to, Get Off Your Asana is going really well. We've done a soft launch now and we're inviting people to join and be part of it. It's a cooperative structure about really making the point that yoga is about being of service and how can we best go about that. There's a whole lot of things on offer on that Get Off Your Asana website and we're moving towards being able to fulfill those and develop it. So please do have a look. With the Reciprocity and Reconciliation Action Plans, Yoga Australia and is planning to launch that, sorry, not launch it, submit it to Reconciliation Australia by the end of this week. A number of us have formed a Aboriginal corporation, which is not for profit, and that's called Nangwale Aboriginal Corporation. And that's about really standing alongside Yoga Australia and trying to bring to the table what's important about being a yoga teacher in this amazing country with the oldest continuous culture. So cultural awareness trainings and a whole lot of great stuff coming up. And with Yoga Hive, good stuff's happening there too. On Sunday, we're launching a national calendar which breaks the whole week 
from 6 a.m. till 9 p.m. every day up into 15 minute blocks. And we're inviting any yoga teacher who's got online offerings to get in touch with Yoga Hive and we'll pop them up there. And then that calendar is going to spread. We're spreading that to people who haven't done yoga before, hoping that in this period, people are more likely to do yoga in the comfort of their own homes when they're a bit scared about going to studios or haven't done it before. So yeah, that's my update. Thanks so much for asking me again, and I hope you're all out there keeping warm. Bye. All right. Well, Kate, thank you so much for coming and meeting with us today. Thank you for speaking with us. It's so great to have you here. Perhaps you could just start by telling us a little bit about your background and where you grew up. Mm, at the age of 56, that's a fairly long story. <laughs> <laughs> but I was born in Australia and I grew up a little while in Canada when I was learning to speak, hence the accent, and then came back to Australia and then ended my growing up in Greece, in Athens, which was a fabulous thing to do. And since then, I've been pretty much Australia-based, but um, spending a lot of time traveling because I, I married into Qantas, so I've traveled a lot. And here I am, bang. And so how did you discover yoga? Yoga. Well, I think, you know, like a lot of people, it came from a need, a real need. So I started meditating when I was 15 and I got very, very strongly into meditation. I'd had a bit of a tricky time growing up. It's another story, another podcast, another place. <laughs> but the meditation really, really helped me get back on the rails and start to move forward. And so meditation was the first thing. And, and I see, of course, meditation is very much three-fifths of the story with with yoga so that's where it started at 15 and then I hit another bit of a glitch at the age of about probably 19 when I was studying to be an occupational therapist and didn't really want to be and was experiencing quite a lot of pain with belly troubles and also neck problems etc etc and Lucky for me, I decided to stop university for a year and I found Japanese yoga. And within a couple of months, no more belly aches after years and years, no more neck aches after years and years. So it was a very personal experience of the, the efficacy of yoga. So I'm really interested. Occupational therapy, that's very body-based, right? So you would have covered a lot of anatomy and I imagine you would have been thinking you were going to work with people with neck aches and pain in their bodies were you somewhat feeling like this practice is not the answer because i'm learning all about this stuff and i feel worse and worse that's a really interesting question thank you for asking it occupational therapy is a very broad based kind of a discipline and it was a discipline at that point in time anyway that was very very christian based so i think it was something like <laughs> i think we had 90 this is a long time ago 94 people in our class 91 of whom were women and some incredible percentage of christians and many people who felt that they wanted to take it overseas and do god's work and bring it to communities and healing to communities and I've forgotten the word. What is it when you go out and you try and... Oh, like evangelism? Evangelism. It was very evangelistic. So I found myself in a very odd kind of culture with occupational therapy. Yes, occupational therapy does heal in that respect, much like physiotherapy. There's a lot of things in, in common with that. It's also a mental discipline, so it works with mental health as well. So I felt worse because I think in the paramedical professions, as opposed to 
more holistic professions, I guess, at that point, and I'm not saying it's true anymore, this was a number of years ago, that was all about being professional. And the difference or the definition of the difference between a client or a, or a patient and the practitioner, it was huge. And it just didn't make sense to me, you know, like being real for me as a yoga teacher, as of me, is all about where the healing happens, to be present, to be in one's own truth, to come back to the direct relationship rather than hiding behind a professional relationship. So yes, and and of course the training was much like that too. It was all at arm's length. And so has this informed the way that you teach your classes now? Absolutely. (laughs) So Japanese yoga, you couldn't get much more real than that. I don't know who of your listeners have had the opportunity to try Okido or Japanese key yoga. It's quite a funny discipline, you know, like we do a lot of paired touching activity, a lot of group work, a lot of laughter based stuff. And it's very real. So people are encouraged to make large sounds during the yoga and to vocalize and to be as natural as they can be. You know, the concept being that what you practice on the mat or the the mood or the quality that you evoke on the mat is what you walk out with. So serious yoga is not really a good description of Japanese (laughs) yoga. And have you had any key teachers? Yes, I started my teacher training very luckily with a man called Takao. And he was actually down in Melbourne for a good while, but he started in Sydney. He came to the East West Centre back in 1984, I want to say. And he taught me initially, but he didn't speak any English. So that was a hilarious journey. (laughs) (laughs) But as I say, it was incredibly curative. So he was my first teacher. And then many years later, many smaller forays into yoga later, I studied formally with Andrew, Andre Gospodarczyk, who runs Rioho Yoga up in Sydney. And since then, I've done a lot of bits and pieces with lots of people. Yeah, we're absolutely blessed in this country to have millions of different ways of doing yoga. <laughs> and so when I was just doing a little bit of research on you, I can see that activism was a really big part of your early life and your life today as well. Do you want to give us some insights into your activism? And I'm particularly interested in the local exchange and trading system. Oh, you did dig deep. (laughs) Um, Yes. So activism has always been very much part of how I've seen the world in terms of it needs to change. (laughs) And I think the majority of people are living in that way of thinking now, but I don't know that they were back 30 years ago or so. So, yeah, so my journey to yoga is really one about of activism in the long run, my journey to yoga teaching, should I say. Yeah, so the LETS, Local Extension Trading System, of which I was co-national secretary, at that stage, that was before the Howard government got in, so back in a Labor government, can't tell you the year. That's okay. Give it a stab, the (laughs) 90s. We had 400 outlets, I guess, or communities throughout Australia. So it was a really, really big force for bringing about a a sense of capacity and egalitarianism and and potential for a lot of people that didn't have any money in any other way, didn't have money as a way to transact. It was so popular back then that the outgoing government, Peter Bohm in particular, who was the Minister for Social Security, was just on the brink of giving us the capacity to hand a pamphlet to everybody that took up social security and he was going to network, this is a long time ago, you know, network with the internet 
goodness me, you know, big, <laughs> big words, all the 400 Let's officers. And because he, he understood that Let's and the local exchange and trading system was addressing the eight aspects of poverty that exist. It wasn't just dealing with the lack of money. It was dealing with the lack of, therefore, relationships, the lack of capacity to to be educated, the lack of capacity for community relationships, all the things that go along with, with poverty. Yeah, so it was a damn good idea, but it was kiberwashed by the government, Howard's government, within three months because they introduced a tax on barter within this mm. economy. And also, not that I've ever seen it activated, but there's a tax on garage sales and all kinds of other local ways of of supporting each other. And so with the Let's program, like people just swapped time, right? Correct. And I'm not sure if I'm thinking about the same program because this is like dredging way back in my memory banks. Everyone's time was worth the same amount. So Correct. like an hour of legal advice was yep. the same as an hour of babysitting yep. or gardening. Fantastic. So me as a single mother, I was able to have people come and do my ironing and actually look after my kids and stuff like that that was not available to to my pay packet size. <laughs> and so obviously it was like a really formative part of your life and your journey, but do you think that working towards social change and environmentalism is kind of an important and even inherent part of a yoga practice? I see it as fundamental to a yoga practice. And I, I might just take us back one tiny notch back to Let's. So even whilst doing that, working in Let's and working in a number of other kind of community-based organisations, it can be, as I'm sure anybody who's been on a committee knows, incredibly frustrating. So the vision is beautiful, the people are beautiful as people are, but even with that great lofty idea in in people's minds, their own stuff comes up and stops the process. And that could can look like anything. It can look like jealousy. It can look like ill health. It can look like lethargy. It can look like whatever it looks like. But it stops the whole process in its tracks. So I, as we've discussed, I think this world needs a lot of change. And so I really came away from that thoroughly exhausted, the let's moment, and went, you know what? What really needs to happen in this world is that brick by brick, we go back to basics and whatever it is that's ailing people, we need to actually find a way till people are empowered because sitting in a room, a committee with empowered people is an entirely different process than sitting in a committee with disempowered people. So that thought on a larger scale, it's the same across the world. And, you know, the way that I perceive yoga is that yoga brings us back to our true selves. It gives us the capacity to be operating on all cylinders with our body and our mind and our connection to spirit. And so, or as they say in Aboriginal thinking, our body and the land and our connection to spirit. Slightly different, but I'm starting to use that language a lot more being an Australian yoga teacher. So, if we are able to come back through practice to a greater sense of self, then we're much more useful. And so, the purpose for all that practice and breathing and stretching and bending and doing the yoga is to, I think, to enable ourselves to be more present and more have more capacity to be of service. And do you think it helps as well? Because it's really easy to feel very overwhelmed with everything in the world and everything that we feel like we want to change or everyone we feel like we want to help to just be really, oh, what's the word, like not discombobulated, <laughs> just like where do I even start? I'm so insignificant and these problems are so huge and it's just paralyzing. 
it's it is it's fragmenting and paralyzing and who knows whether it's just happened that way or whether that's part of the design <laughs> but here we are we're we're living in a world that asks us to be fragmented and it's very hard to feel powerful if you're shooting off in 15 different directions at once and you've got a whole lot of economic pressure on top of you and you've got a whole lot of ill health on top of you and you've got a whole lot of everything on top of you how on earth do you become useful to yourself first of all and then to your family and then to your community and then to the wider world so i think that yoga really does have is one of the tools and a very good tool in terms of bringing us back into our whole self and bringing us back to a stable sense of it's all okay <laughs> i'm still here i'm breathing and my comfort zone i can come back into my comfort zone at will mm. And so was there like a sort of singular event that led you towards wanting to teach yoga or was it just a, a sort of accumulation of all these different things that you'd experience? Thanks. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's a long story what I went through in my early motherhood and it was a scary story and therefore I'm not going to share it with people because it was scary. <laughs> and so that had happened. It had been crisis point, double deadlocks and private numbers and the whole lot. And I really was, I, I think, out of sorts. And so I went back to yoga practice, which is a great place to go when you feel like that. But I quickly got back on track through my yoga practice. My kids were then about five and six and I thought mm, this is as an occupational therapist as somebody who's an activist this is a really great skill and it kind of ticks that box in terms of bringing brick by brick you know bringing people back to themselves so that they're functional and useful in the world but as I've just done to myself <laughs> yeah so my feet stopped aching and my heart stopped racing I started sleeping well again and started to have i guess which is the most important part i guess in yoga the philosophy to deal with what i was going through yeah so i wanted to take that out there that's why i went back to teach training mm. um. <laughs> <laughs> well actually i would love to ask you about the yoga on country project because that sounds amazing oh, yoga on country is amazing i'm um, holding that piece of the equation with another yoga teacher yoland hyde who teaches in the northern beaches of sydney and it evolved like all things that are real do <laughs> so we set off in april last year to visit miriam ungama rose who is a beautiful Aboriginal woman in her 60s, matriarch of a community up on the Daly River. And so we drove up from Sydney all the way through a whole lot of out-of-the-way places, <laughs> all the way up to Daly River to sit with Miriam and discuss Dadiri. So for those who haven't come across Dadiri, it's a beautiful mindfulness practice that's taught from, from elders to their kids within Aboriginal communities. It's got different names, of course, because there's so many different language groups across Australia. But basically, the concept is connection with country and connection to self and understanding the deep well within that we, we connect to spirit. 
and it's a beautiful thing. And she's been talking about it out there since the 1980s. It's a beautiful thing to look up, actually. Um, there's an official video. It's called we'll Dadiri. We'll put a link in. Yeah. yeah. Really great. And so we set off with the four of us, yoga teachers, and then we met another eight yoga teachers up there, plus a whole group of people from Melbourne from the School of Philosophy. As I do, I like to talk to yoga teachers the whole way up. And I had my friend Yolande there who's running a podcast called Yoga for Your Ears based on Japanese yoga. So we decided to not only meet yoga teachers and chat about all the various things that are going on in this country for yogis, but also to record them. And the stories were amazing. So the first time that we stopped was in Lightning Ridge, which is an opal town and it's way out west from Sydney, maybe nine hours drive, really dry and quite isolated. And it's been notorious for everybody that's running from anything. They head there. <laughs> so so we met a 90, 90 this year, actually, a beautiful yoga teacher, Ivana Hewitt, and she is Russian and she's been out there teaching out there in a little, I want to call them humpies, they're, they're homes, but they're kind of dug into the side of hills and dug into the earth because it's damn hot out there. So you need to be kind of underground. And we couldn't find her. So we had a time to meet her and we couldn't see her. And so we were calling out, calling out, and all of a sudden this vision appeared of this woman in a negligee with gumboots. She looked glorious and she was coming coming over the hill, you know, and she's been kind of bringing life to this land and to the people out there for years and years. So she's got this incredible history of teaching yoga in Russia and, you know, it was at one stage illegal and getting the KGB being involved and taking her away. Oh, well, you know, on it goes. So it was such a rich story and a really great place to start. And so we were just like, whoa, this is incredible. And so on it went, you know, we met Kate in, out in um, Catherine and Kate from Catherine was doing this most incredible task of holding community because everybody who wants things to change in Australia heads out to Catherine to work with Aboriginal communities with all kinds of lofty visions about how they might impact and then quickly realise that the troubles are pretty systemic and are hard to deal with and they, there's a lot of depression out there by nurses and teachers and doctors and everybody else. So she's really holding up the service industry out in Catherine and has a very strong vision because she's so connected to the land. She went out there herself in the service field and never left, married the local policeman stuff. So she's got a really, really strong vision of bringing yoga teachers out on country to really experience what it is to be connected to the land through yoga and just to help people understand how spiritual it is yeah but it's spiritual everywhere true <laughs> so yoga and country it evolved from these that experience and we are now in the process of laying down a podcast hello <laughs> <laughs> a podcast called yoga on country which involves really getting to know local communities through the eyes of of remote and regional yoga teachers and because the stories are fascinating in themselves and have wide interest not only for the yoga community because you know the people that come to your yoga class are a smattering of whatever's going on in your community so it's the underbelly of the community and what yoga teachers hold is the whole in many cases you know where places especially lately whoa what yoga teachers have been doing with regards to the bushfires is incredible 
So that story needs to get out there so that we can start to understand the role that yoga is playing in Australian culture. You know, 33,000 plus yoga teachers in Australia and all doing amazing things just by working with anybody and some of them in places that, that, that need the story told. Yeah. So that's part of yoga and country. <laughs> just trying to work out what it is to be an Australian yoga teacher. The other part is to do with Aboriginality and happy to talk about that too. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Do. Shall I go ahead? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So look, I think I might go back to a personal story about why, yeah, <laughs> yeah. first of all. So I like Kirtan. I love coming together with community. I love raising our voices in song and feeling that spiritual connection between people. But I've always had an issue, you know, like I've always had an issue in that I didn't grow up in India and calling on Indian gods, let alone cultural appropriation, it just doesn't make sense to me, you know, like it's just like, no, I don't know Vishnu. I haven't got a personal relationship to Krishna, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess because I did Japanese yoga teacher training, I didn't develop that during my training. So with all respect and love for Mother India, you know, and all that we've had, 6,000 years of Vedic knowledge that we're all working with, it was like, well, what would I want to sing? And I thought, eh, well, I don't really want to sing 60s mumbo jumbo. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a bit tacky. What do I want to sing? And then I thought, you know, what would be amazing if at one stage in my life we got to the point where well, I got to the point where I had permission to sing up country. So to sing the sing stuff that was relevant to the echidnas and to the kangaroos and to the casuarina trees and the seaweed and the and the wave motion and things that make sense to me in my soul and in my spirit so from that little seed thought i started to think okay well that's an interesting thought what are, where does that come from and how does that kind of how can i think about a a holder for that thought. And so I really started to think about, hey, you know, we've got 6,000 years of history in India, all this stuff. We've got, depending on what you have been exposed to or believe, somewhere between 60 to 120,000 years of really amazing practice here in being the best humans that we can be, which is yoga, you know, the pranayama practices, the ascetic practices, the didiri or the mindfulness practices, the yama practices, and then all those things are here deep in culture and passed on in a way that's integrated when people are ready, etc. You don't get a 200-hour training to be Aboriginal, you know, it doesn't happen. <laughs> and it's a very different model. I'm not saying that we should suddenly switch fields and all be Aboriginal. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do think we should start the conversation about paying real respect to where we actually are and feeling into it and opening that conversation. And it will be fruitful. It, it always is when you sit with people who know more than yourself in any field. So we've started that conversation and this year we're going to move from Aboriginal country to Aboriginal country and bring yoga teachers in that country together with Aboriginal elders and traditional owners and community and spend time yarning and do proper ceremony around opening this conversation and walk on country and just see where that leads. And it may not lead anywhere. That's one thing that can happen to conversations. There might be nothing in common, but I doubt it. 
And so have you been able to connect with many Indigenous yoga teachers, people who already straddle both communities? Absolutely. Yeah, there's some seven people holding this whole discussion. The Reciprocity Action Plan is being hosted, I guess, on Yoga Australia. And so those that want to can just go to the Facebook and look under the groups and you'll see the Reciprocity Action Group. Love you to join it because that's going to get very busy. We've only just started there. And also, if you were to go to the Yoga Australia website and put forward slash, oh, we can put that link in. I don't know what it is yet. (laughs) But anyway, the basic idea of that is up there and it will introduce you to the seven amazing yoga teachers who are also Aboriginal and up for exploring this idea and holding what's going to happen next. I am not Aboriginal and I don't hold it. It's just was a thought process that I went through. But um, I'm happy to continue to be involved in it because it's just so interesting for me. And how did that process go of reaching out and getting in touch with those Aboriginal yoga teachers? Were people generally pretty open to it or a little bit wary about their culture being taken on by other people who don't come from that background? I think that is always a concern. Mm, I think Aboriginal people have given a lot in this country and continue how on earth they continue to be so generous and open-minded and I put that down to cultural precepts that they have. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I think it's incredible. You know, it's one of those amazing miracles and blessings that we have as Australians that given the horror that went on here, that they continue to be open in their mind towards where we're all moving. So e- resistance? No, I don't think so because it's, it's, this is being done as a questioning process. And there have been a few moments when people have come up with some pretty interesting ideas about how to work with this conversation and all of this, and that's been a little scary. But it's being held by Aboriginal folk who are yoga teachers and for that reason if somebody is going to come up with a scheme that looks a little bit like appropriation I'm sure that the discussion will move to support that not happening yeah so it kind of keeps it open I guess yeah as long as we can keep the conversation out there and flowing so no there hasn't been any resistance from the people that I've invited onto it other than just that And we all know it's hard being Aboriginal in this country. It's been so hard. And so there's a lot of trauma and people who we've asked who've just had too much going on in their own communities and haven't been able to give on that level, bringing us back to the first part of our conversation, which is when you've got stuff going on, it's very hard to work in the bigger field. You just need to attend to your own health and your own family. Hello, Ran here to talk about our Patreon page. Patreon is a way that you can help support the podcast for as little as $1 a month. Higher tiers get access to extra special content as well as a listing on our website and a shout out on the podcast. Joe and I will be recording an addendum to some of our episodes. We put up our thoughts about our last conversation with Matthew Rensky and we'll be sharing some of our thoughts on this episode, so check it out. We've also uploaded a two-hour yin and myofascial release workshop that Joe recorded recently and there will be a lot more content going up. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash flowartistpodcast. If you'd like to support us in other ways, you can subscribe to us on your favourite podcast app, you can share about us on social media, or you can put a comment on our website at podcast.flowartist.com. All right, that's more than enough from me. Let's get back to our conversation with Kate Peterson. 
Uh, is it too soon to talk about some of the projects and some of the directions that might come out of these conversations? Hmm, that's a good question. I think it probably is because we've got 200 and something different countries across Australia and yogis from all kinds of lineages. So how that conversation goes is is going to rely on the personalities involved. So, so it's just beginning. Yeah, it's just beginning. I mean, we've done things like running films, bringing elders to come in and do the welcoming and have yarns, but it's so febrile and small and little that I, I wouldn't want to try and second guess what's going to happen next. But I will say that we're doing things like putting a book club up on, and that'll be in the next day, <laughs> putting a book club up on the Reconciliation Action Plan Facebook through Yoga Australia. And I think what the biggest thing that will come out of it at the moment is getting to know where we're at and who we are and, and just opening the door on that conversation. So it is following a plan. The Reconciliation Action Plan is laid out by Reconciliation Australia. And the first is just gathering the information and then that may take two years and then the next part is to bring some action as a result of having found out those things but this year is all about encouraging yoga teachers across the country to do something for NAIDOC week in July acknowledge country before class and yoga Australia and also get off your asana which I work for, <laughs> have have stacks of those uh, postcards. So if people want to know how to acknowledge or what that's about, just reach out and we'll put the link up. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely then, put yeah, that link up. That'll be great. Yeah. That'll be awesome. So it's about acknowledgement. It's about doing something for NADOC Week. It's about joining the book club. It's about joining the, what we're doing and following us along. And hopefully some of your listeners will be in the countries that we're going to go to and bring together these happenings. The first one's in Ewan country, which is down Jarvis Bay area in New South Wales, but there'll be one on the Mornington Peninsula also sometime this year. And if it's appropriate, I know you've given us the link to sign up for the project. Mm -hmm. If any of the Aboriginal yoga teachers that you're working with have a pretty big social media presence, or if there's a way that people who are like interested, who want to find out more about what they're doing and who they are, um, are there any names that you could share who people might be able to find online? Sure, yeah. And they're all there on Yoga Australia. So it introduces you to them and also gives you a link through. So Eleanor Bancroft, who, of course, you you brilliantly interviewed <laughs> a few months ago. That was a great interview, oh, by the way. Well done. Yeah, Ella's amazing. Yeah, yeah, really great. So she's a powerhouse. She's just so so knows who she is <laughs> and there's a lot of other people there's Gemma there's Thedra there's a lot of there will be more by the way also yoga teachers who are Aboriginal joining us and you can get to know who they are by looking on the Yoga Australia site and which country they're in yeah great fantastic so I'm wondering if maybe you'd like to talk about uh, Yoga Pass, which is now Yoga High. <laughs> I thought you'd almost got it wrong then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would because, and I want to start it with a big plea to all the yogis out there. It's free to join and it's the mechanism that's making this work. It's what's drawing together community for these discussions and what hopefully will help us as yoga teachers fund other yoga teachers who are doing awesome, cool things out there in terms of social justice and good and accessibility and all the rest. So Yoga Hive. For many years, we ran, I ran something called Yoga Pass with a guy called Alex Grant, who runs Find Yoga, who many of your listeners will be familiar with. And Yoga Pass was a very small vision 
now in retrospect, but it was about encouraging people to go and try different types of yoga before they decided what type of yoga was theirs or what was what was resonating or helping them the most. Because have you heard this? I'm sure you've heard this. I tried yoga once. It's just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> come back. Yeah, or I tried it once. The class was really hard. The teacher was mean. I didn't feel comfortable. Whatever, too easy, too hot, too whatever. But And then it's like, no, you know, there's all these different types of yoga and yogas and teachers. Please go and try again. So we set this up with the concept of people go out, get one of these yoga pass things, go to a number of, go try Bikram, Sachananda, whatever it's going to be, hot yoga, accessible yoga, and find out which one is speaking to you and holding your hand and, and that you can work with. So we did that for a number of years. We had a few IT glitches. <laughs> and then during that whole process, I was working really strongly with a team of, of yogis in bringing Off the Mat into the world to Australia. So Sean Korn and Halakuri and Suzanne Sterling, who started Off the Mat into the world, they were coming out visiting. We were running their workshops with them and doing teacher trainings around the concepts of social justice and integrating that with yoga practice. And so, but we were doing it as many things yogic on the smell of an oily rag you know starving in the process literally so it was like this is ridiculous we really have to find a mechanism to make money to support what we're doing so that it can grow and so that we don't constantly feel like where's our next meal coming from it's literally like that so okay so we i we had that thought and then one day i was walking along and thought that's what needs to happen. We can use what we did with Yoga Pass, which was having a, it's it was having it had had its time. I guess it was just in a really bad IT platform, and it was really not serving us. And so, and how can we could develop something very similar to that, but with a with a better intention? Not a better intention, but a a bigger intention that that involves social justice, and we could use the money that we generate from that to support off the mat into the world. So that sounded really great. And then as we started to develop Yoga Hive, which I'll go into a little more, <laughs> but we, I went, well, you know, off the mat into the world is such an American thing. We actually can't keep going here because it's always square peg, round hole. You know, the languaging, the kind of concepts that they're working on or, or social justice issues are different in America. You know, they've got their own difficulties. We don't need to go into those, you know, and we've got our own difficulties. And so how can we develop something that speaks more to what we're on about? Their funding model is different. We had to sit for a year and try and get their curriculum to be Australian-based and speak in Australian words, all that stuff. So it was just like, uh, uh, uh. So we decided that Yoga Hive would not support Off the Mat into the World, but instead it would support Get Off Your Asana. And so we established Get Off Your Asana. So... I'm not sure when this podcast is going live, but... <laughs> we're not sure either at this yeah. stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're just one week away from launching Get Off Your Asana, which is really exciting. So it's joined for one buck and the annual subscription is five bucks for which you're given a Yoga Hive pass, which we say you cannot use for yourself. You must give it away to someone who's never done yoga before. So in Australia, we've got the got 95% of men and 85% of women don't do yoga, which is, I think, because people don't understand what yoga is about yet and don't see it as being for them. So Get Off Your Asana is like a not-for-profit co-op 
where people will be given the capacity to vote for where the money from Yoga Hive and from other sources goes to support socially useful projects by, done by yogis throughout Australia. It's a cool concept. It looks gorgeous. <laughs> and it's already generating incredible conversations. You'll be able to list your karma project on a map, an interactive map. So it's things like bushfire relief projects or things that are actually donation-based and going to a good cause, working towards social good. Not that every single yoga class isn't social good. I'm not saying that. It's just if working in a wider field, you'll be able to do that. And it's also got this bit, <laughs> which I think is a great idea because it's about accessibility and we all have been struggling with this issue of, you know, I can't afford a $22 class regularly. I do now and again. And neither can a lot of people. So it's just how do we get yoga to the masses, you know, and we've, people have been doing different things around that. But this concept is that within that map, if a studio wants to list itself, which is free, by the way, then they can list themselves and say, hey, we've got all these things that need doing in our studio. We need cleaning. We need new bolsters made. We need someone to do our books, ugh, whatever else it is. And if you're willing to do that, this is the deal. We can give you this many free yoga classes for this much service. So that will allow people who can't afford it, who have great skills, to come in and do a bit more yoga too. So I like that idea. Yeah, sounds like a little blast from your own past there with the battering. Yeah, finally. <laughs> and so with the funds from Get Off Your Asana, is it like each studio kind of chooses their own individual project or are there some big collective projects that you're going to work towards? We've got a, a really interesting board of advisors who's holding the Get Off Your Asana project. So that's Eve Grabowski, who many people know. <laughs> and then we've got Katie Rose, who was Katie Manitsis, who run, runs the Jiva Mukti thing in this country, or did, sorry, bring Jiva Mukti really strongly and animal liberation, vegan kind of platforms to the yoga communities really strongly. We've got a number of other yoga teachers on there who are incredible. So again, I'll give you the website and mm -hmm. people can go in and, ch and greet them and meet them. <laughs> but anyway, I'm really impressed by the people that we've got on that advisory committee. So basically, if somebody's doing a cool project which involves social good, they'll be able to apply and that application will be looked at by the Board of Advisors. And then if they're appropriate, they'll be passed on for voting to everybody who's joined the co-op for a buck to make their vote. And that'll be done by SurveyMonkey or something simple. And then that's where the money will go. So it's a co-op and it's we're acting cooperatively with that. There's no money in there yet, but give it another year and there definitely will be money, which is why, you know, like joining Yoga Hive, which is free for yoga teachers, the money that's generated from that will go back into our community. So I'm really excited about the model that we've opened up. Hmm. Sounds amazing. I hope so. And yeah. the Yoga Hive gets you out there. <laughs> you know, like that's the big problem. We've got 60. Oh, one of the other people on our board of advisors is Michelle Ferreira. And she, with her husband, started something called the Yogi Project. Have you read that? I don't think so. So the Yogi Project was, they interviewed 185 yoga studios around Australia. And they looked at the financial situation of those studios and they looked at how they market themselves and what a lot, whole lot of parameters that were operating in those yoga studios. And 62% of studio owners are drawing less than the basic wage. So it's not good. <laughs> it's really, really not good. And I think that lack of money in our community is a real 
a real problem. So I'm looking forward to the point where we'll be able to provide money for great things that happen out there through Get Off Your Asana. And I probably lost my track then. <laughs> no, no, I think that was heading towards another question that I did want to ask you about because there's two main money-related challenges that I see in the yoga world the challenge of making a sustainable income as a teacher. And then, as you mentioned before, the challenge of making yoga accessible to the people who could benefit from it the most, really. Mm. Mm. And sometimes those two things do not seem to support each other because sometimes you'll read like, you know, yoga marketing advice and the advice is to charge more and to teach smaller classes. And that is one answer. But that's an individual answer and no guarantees there either. And I see a lot of teachers who really give a lot of themselves and do a lot of volunteer teaching and a lot of other volunteer work. And sometimes they like actually stop teaching yoga or they'll just teach one class a week and work another job because they just can't make enough money doing what they're doing and they're feeling burnt out. To me, that is a total tragedy. And it was one of the most disappointing things for me to, we had 568 studios on Yoga Pass at its zenith. And then when it came to doing Yoga Hive, we contacted them. And I would say more than half were now doing whatever else they were doing, be it dog walking back to the corporate job, et cetera, et cetera, but they weren't yoga teachers anymore. And it's just like, oh, just knowing, because it's a relationship you have, like we do now with the studios on Yoga Hive, of knowing people and knowing how much passion and how much they'd given, as you say, and just that they had had to stop that profession our profession, yoga, which is so important right now, is just so important in terms of dealing with everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just a real big disappointment. So I think you're absolutely right. It's how do we make things accessible and how do we get to the point where yoga teachers are making a living so they can breathe? It's crazy. I, I think of Amre's situation, beautiful Amre who's down in Cabargo, lost her studio in the fires. and. It wasn't her building. She was renting it, but the main street of Cabago burnt down completely. It's gone. And so it was her total passion. But she earns, and it's out in the public arena, she earned very little, well below the poverty line. So she's, like many of us, don't have the money to insure ourselves and do what other people at a higher pay grade can do. So there's no money, nothing left, and her community went, oh, now more than ever, we need you. So this woman, you know, Emory then started running four classes a week in one of the halls that hadn't been burnt down to support the community, having just lost everything. Unbelievable what yogis do. And so then somebody in her community intelligently has put together a crowdfunding and it's it's close to $40,000 she's generated to set her studio up again. And I, Oh, that's I, amazing. Yeah, mm. truly amazing. Bikram Yoga Sapphire Coast, if anybody wants to look it up. <laughs> and then we've all been sending down from Love Earth, sending down yoga mats and there's been yoga clothes and yoga books <laughs> and everything. It's a, been a really big outpouring from our yoga community back to those in need. Mm. Oh, that's such a um, heartwarming story that that people are going to help her get back on her feet. Totally. And it does lead us into yet another project of yours, (laughs) Love Earth. All of these projects I do very slowly, let me (laughs) (laughs) do 
Love Earth. Right. I think I just showed you that amazing picture. So mm. the dingoes. Yeah, the yes. dingoes. <laughs> it's been a hell of a time for a lot of people in the fire. It's really, really tough. So Yoga Love Earth is, again, it's a project, I'd call it, rather than a business just because I'm crap at making money. <laughs> <laughs> so we, our job has been to try and point out really, 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 really strongly, and it's getting stronger, that plastic mats are not a good idea. They're not a good idea because PVC mats are carcinogenic to the person using them for starters. You know, secondly, they never rot and they're atrocious for the environment. They're made out of petrochemicals. They're just not on anymore. And However, it's very, very tempting for people to buy them because they can get them for nine bucks as opposed to whatever it is to like buy. Like 90. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so as we've just discussed, yoga teachers aren't very well off. So I just want to make an offer out there on through you <laughs> to people that are just coming into their teaching, meaning they've just done their teacher training. They probably don't have much behind them in terms of money and they're tempted to go out there and purchase the plastic mats. Yoga high sorry, Love Earth is providing mats to those people for free. You just have to pay for the postage from wherever the mats are. And these mats that we've collected, well over 5,000 now, approaching 6,000, come from studios and individuals and people that don't want to see their mat go to landfill. So we repurpose them and that's one way to new teachers. But the dingo den <laughs> in the west of Sydney is where they take in dingoes who have lost their habitat or are injured or what have you and that there's a lot of dingoes there right now. So we provided the last lot of mats for bedding for the dingoes and aren't those pictures cute? So cute. <laughs> That's a very cute dingo down dogs. <laughs> yeah. But we send them out to Fair Trade in Western Australia, which goes out to regional remote Aboriginal communities to do yoga. We've given them to women's shelters. They, a lot of homeless shelters also use our yoga mats as a kit for sleeping rough. That, anywhere we can think of basically that doesn't involve sticking them in landfill. And the good news is for listeners <laughs> that if you have an old yoga mat that you want to get rid of and you don't want to chuck you get a free yoga hive pass for doing to say thank you and then you can go and do a free yoga nice yeah and so do you do people just get in touch with you and then send them to you or how does the whole pickup process work we've got a number of different drop-off points um and It'll look better as soon as I get half a minute actually because <laughs> a number of people have offered and I'm just realising now I haven't got them up on the website. Yoga Australia has been oh, doing great. it but and they're going to be doing it again in a few months. They're just taking a hiatus. Things are, are restructuring there. But Yoga Australia and the, oh, what's the one in Melbourne? Eco Green Eco. I'll send that link to, uh, to Melbourneites to let them know. It's an eco store and I really should remember their name. Is it called the eco store? I think it's called the Is eco store. Is it on store. High Street? Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. Yeah, I think it's that. But I'll I'll definitely give you. I don't want to inundate a store that's never heard of us. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there'll be some good-hearted environmentalist who doesn't want to say no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, cute. No. Anyway, yeah, there's a lot of pickup spots. And if not, then we get them sent to where they need to be. But And so you just contact Love Earth. Yep. And we sell mats too. So, But we're one of many people that sell good eco mats these days. And so it's really good to do your thinking into it and work out what, what to get, but try not to make it PVC. TPE is marginally better. 
but it's not great. So are they the like pastel coloured yoga mats that still look quite plasticky? Is that TPE that's marketed as eco mats? Yeah, they're a bit softer. Yeah. They're kind of cushiony, Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And there's a number of different organisations selling those. But, um, yeah, just look on the label, please. It's so important because yoga is conscious behaviour. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Well, as we've seeing you do so many projects must take up a, a lot of your time and your energy so do you have any type of self-care practices that you use to sort of keep yourself as I guess energized as you can for all this different stuff you're doing I believe in sleep <laughs> <laughs> I drink a glass of wine every night and a cup of coffee in the morning so there you go <laughs> uh, yeah I, I have a dog so I walk make sure I do but I think it's the yoga of mm, course fundamentally mm. that keeps drawing me back into myself and stops the overwhelm you know you can get terribly overwhelmed with all the stories out there right now wow mm. ouch the the additional trauma just the trauma of being alive but seeing everybody else's stories is full on so yeah you know pranayam standing on my head every day really important for me mm-hmm. and doing yoga practice it's a daily thing and I meditate several times a week, not every day. But, yeah, I just think that that's that's the bedrock of doing what we all do. Yeah. Beautiful. And beyond your practice, how do you stay organized when you've got so many businesses? Because I find it hard with one. <laughs> oh, I'm such a – I don't see them as businesses. I see them as projects and yeah, I just do yeah. what's in front of me. But I'm crap, really, at the money business aspect of it. I will get better. Yeah. Ask me in three years and I'm sure it'll all be fine. <laughs> but um, it's, yeah. a, it's a practice. <laughs> <laughs> it is a practice. I just move slowly. Yeah. At this age, I, I'm sick of rushing at all. So I just take it slowly and I do what's in front of me to do and stop giving myself a hard time for not hitting goalposts and da 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 da. Yeah. Wonderlist. Love Wonderlist. Do you use Wonderlist? No, I use Asana though, which is like an app. (laughs) We also use Asana for Yoga Hive. That's what we do. Yeah, those little tools that are out there that make life tick are so useful. I Mm. think the list-keeping tools are particularly useful because that's often when I feel overwhelmed because I do not naturally have a fabulous memory that will remember remember (laughs) everything. So that's one of the things that makes my stress levels rise. If I've just got all of these thoughts in my mind that I'm trying to keep track of and all these things that I need to remember to do, I just list it out. And then it's like, okay, I know it's going to get done eventually. It's on the list. I don't have to worry about forgetting about it. Mm, I totally agree. Lists are fundamental. So yeah, I put everything into under list and then I transfer it to a paper diary every morning and work Yeah, no, out. I need a paper diary as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Paper diaries rock. <laughs> Yeah. Nice. I'm a Google Calendar guy myself, but <laughs> <laughs> I know Joe needs. I need that. Well, the paper stuff is just my stuff. Right. And the Google Calendar is like studio stuff and podcast stuff. Oh, <laughs> there's all so much stuff, isn't there? I know, <laughs> I know. I've actually been finding myself lately, I've sort of. I'll get in front of the computer with my things to do today and then I'll be like, oh, actually, what am I supposed to be doing again? Yeah, and I guess there's so much stuff it just sort of turns into, oh, I've forgotten what I'm actually supposed to be doing. But anyway. (laughs) Too many tabs open. (laughs) But it's just the grounding, isn't it? So that whole barefoot practice, I'm big on barefoot too and I, I swim every day. I jump in the water, yeah, and I just think that integrates my head. Yeah. Beautiful. 
I think maybe we've reached the end of Yeah, the... I think we've covered everything on our list. Um, is there anything that you'd like to add? Not at all. I feel somehow you've managed to condense my whole life into an hour and I thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a very interesting ride for us as well. Thank you for everything that you shared. I, I do have one more question though. So yeah. <laughs> our surprise. What could that be? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I've probably heard it before. Um, so if you could distill everything that you have learned and everything that you teach or or do down to one core essence what do you think that one thing would be oh okay I wish I wonder if I can do this by voice alone because I always demonstrate it with my hands so I might have to explain what I'm doing uh. <laughs> okay you ready yeah <laughs> okay so I make a, a mountainous shape with my hands so mm -hmm. all 10 fingertips are touching and my elbows are wide and I say, you know, the majority of the troubles that we're experiencing in the world presently are because we've been relying on this shape of public and private institution. And be it a headmaster, be it a prime minister, be it the head of an organisation or a guru up the top, that's a very dangerous place to be putting people in. It, they can topple off and they often do and it causes great damage and harm to those at the bottom end of the spectrum. So what we're doing with our yoga is being all that we can possibly be. So that's about uplifting ourselves and I now I'm lifting my elbows <laughs> to We're be parallel. <laughs> yep. So that everybody understands that they've got a deep sense of purpose in being here and a deep deep connection to spirit and that we're all incredibly valuable more valuable than we could ever ever realize so that's what yoga is about understanding moving away from the smaller self to the bigger sense of self which is connected to country to humanity and to everything every sentient being and so that's what we're doing with our yoga. We're trying to lift up our wings and start to fly, at which stage I'm flapping my elbows <laughs> and just starting to be able to move again instead of having this crazy, crazy paradigm of somebody else being better, richer, more than anybody else. And so yoga is about equality. Yoga is about understanding that we're all part of the same beautiful thing. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for everything that you do and, and your time and your energy and everything. So, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, great to talk to you. And great to be listened to. So, sorry for talking so much. Oh, oh no. Perfect. This is what we want you to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is what you're here for. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's much appreciated. And I have listened to every one of your podcasts oh, now as wow. I've been driving throughout doing yoga and country. <laughs> and I'm so impressed by what you guys are doing out there, like really, really keeping it simple and real. It's beautiful. Oh, oh thanks. Well, thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Kate. She's doing so much good stuff. We're excited to see what she continues to work on in the future. For our next episode, we'll be speaking with Jordan Ashley. Jordan is a yoga teacher and the founder of Souljourn Yoga, a nonprofit that raises awareness and funds for girls' education in lesser economically developed countries. We'll be speaking with her to learn about her work, including how she's been affected by COVID-19. Look out for our conversation with Jordan in two weeks' time. Our theme song is Baby Robots by Go Soul and is used with permission. Get his music from gosoul.bandcamp.com. Joe and I would like to honour the elders of these wisdom traditions of yoga and mindfulness from India and beyond, as well as honouring the traditional custodians of the land where this podcast is recorded, the Rundri people 
of the Kulin Nation. Thank you so much for listening. Joe and I appreciate you spending your precious time with us. Aroha nui. Big, big love. <laughs>